Unity Community of Central Oregon's podcast featuring Reverend Jane Hyatt. We, we look at the, the struggle in the world. We look at the suffering and we want to make a difference. We want to change the world. We, we want to know that when we are finished here, it mattered that we were here, that we made a difference. And it's hard to know. It's hard to know how to help. Is that sticky 36 cents on the floorboard really going to help? Is the dime a day to help that child going to help? We don't know how to help. We have ideas, but they never seem like they're enough. And often, our response then is we do nothing because we don't know what to do. Today we are ending the season for nonviolence. And as we talked about in a previous talk, nonviolence is, is not a perfect term because it's a translation of the word ahimsa. And it means putting out only kindness into the world, putting out no violence at all, even when provoked being a stand for peace, for light and love. And so even though we're ending this season today, we're not ending our willingness to be that in the world. I've talked a little bit before about this book, Gandhi, The Man. And I want to talk about it some more from a perspective of someone who defied the gravity of his situation. He grew up late 1800s, or 1900s rather, no I get my centuries right, 1800s, um, 19th century. He grew up a very poor boy in a very poor country. And he had a life of struggle. We hear about Mahatma Gandhi and we say, oh, Mahatma Gandhi, he was a great man. But we're, we're tuning in at the end, not at the beginning. And we have to discover that he started out with very little going for him and yet was able to do great things. I think one of the greatest disservices that Christianity has done for Christians and for the world is putting Jesus up on a pedestal. Because the thing that he said was, what I have done, you can do too. Gandhi said exactly the same thing. He said, the things that I have done, anybody could do if they are willing to make the same sacrifices. And that's the catch, isn't it? We, every one of us, are able to be great, to do great things for this world. 
but we don't know how. It's like in the song, they say you close your eyes and you say a prayer. And that prayer is let the I, the I am, stream through me without my resistance. And we all resist. But that has to be our continuous prayer that we pray to do this, to let it keep flowing through us more and more strongly, that we let there be less and less of us in the way, the ego that's selfish and objects. So Gandhi started out as a young boy. He was very, very shy. He ran home from school as soon as the the bell rang because he was so afraid somebody would talk to him. He was really shy. He was afraid of the dark because there were snakes out there in the dark and ghosts in the dark and who knows what else. And he wouldn't go out when it was dark. And in the late... 19th century, there wasn't a lot of electricity probably in a little Indian village. And so he stayed home, frightened a lot. He was a mediocre student in school. And when he got out of high school, he tried college and he totally flunked out of college. Every single class he flunked. So if you've struggled in school, good company. After he flunked out of college, he didn't really know what he was going to do. And they, they said, well, maybe you should go to England and become a lawyer. Because if... <laughs> maybe it didn't seem quite as funny to them, I don't know. <laughs> but at any rate, he did. <laughs> he went to England and with the help of, you know, extreme financial sacrifice from the family to get him to go there. And he goes to England, and first of all, he's thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to take this big ship across the street. See, it's going to be so exciting. But instead, it was lonely. He was lonely. And he kind of hood Remember, he's shy. And so he kind of hides out on the deck and, you know, looks into the wind and the dark that he hates and, and misses his mother. And he's just pretty miserable the whole trip over. And then he gets there, and first of all, he's humiliated because he wore this fancy white suit that he had somehow gotten. And he gets there, and everybody's dressed in black. So he doesn't fit in. He's, you know, totally wrong for the whole society, is how he feels. He, he starts going to school, and he, he finds out that it's actually relatively easy, the classes there, which says something about English barristers, I guess, but um, he, he's doing the classes, but he, he's not fitting in at all. And then somebody takes him under his wing and says, here, you're not here to study law. You're here to study the English way of life. And the English had ruled India forever. So he's thinking that that's a better way to be. He should study this way of life. And he takes on studying you know, all the, their mannerisms. And their, he takes up violin and gets fancy clothes like them and wears his hair the way they wear it. He's doing all these things on the surface to 
study how to be successful. But it doesn't last for long. It just starts to, something's wrong with this. It doesn't feel right inside. He's aware of his brother is working hard to pay to support him. And here he is wearing fancy clothes and doing all the stuff that doesn't matter inside. And so he says, either my character is going to be successful or I'm not going to be successful. It's not going to be about the trappings. And he stops doing all that. And he, he decides that he can make some sacrifices. He moves to a little apartment that's in the center of the city so he doesn't have the expense of a bus. And he applies himself, and he really, really studies, and he finds that he can. He can pass all these classes when he studies. And, and so that's what he does, and he passes the bar, and then he comes home. So now he's a lawyer in India with experience only in English law, and he gets to try a case, finally. He, he has trouble getting cases, because they figure, well, what does he know about Indian law? And the answer is nothing. And so he finally gets a case where he gets to, um, it's a case for $10, some dispute. And he gets up there to talk, and he's still shy. And so he knows he has nothing to say. He can't get anything to come out of his mouth. He's kind of has to turn it over to somebody else to take over, and he's sort of laughed out of the courtroom. So, this whole education, where'd that get him? If you were him, would you be feeling like a failure yet? So think about this for a minute with all of our excuses of why we don't do whatever it is that we say, I'd love to do that, but, and then we begin to recount what's lacking in us, what's lacking in our opportunities.